Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Arena Craft Podcast, a show focused exclusively on Magic the Gathering Arena. I am one of your hosts, Arjuna. We are, of course, joined today, usually, of course, of course, of course, joined today by returning host, Kovac Go Blue. How are you doing today, Kovac Go Blue? Happy Halloween or belated Halloween, depending when you hear this, everybody. I am doing well and excited to be here talking about my favorite thing in the whole freaking world, MTG Arena. So here's the real question, CGB. Did you, for Halloween this year, don the costume of your favorite Magic the Gathering character, the Sky Noodle? What? No, <laughs> of course not. Come on now. That, that would be preposterous. That's absolutely insane. No, um, what, what is happening is be because I am raising money for Extra Life Charity, I uh, hit a certain goal, and it will not be a Sky Noodle, but I will be... Let me pull it up for you. I will be this. Whoa! <laughs> Tomorrow. <laughs> Wearing some kind of a lizard, dinosaur, Godzilla, perhaps, onesie? That's what it appears to be. Some kind of a dinosaur onesie. Yes. Okay, uh, all right. This all right. was selected by... In their infinite wisdom, the power that is Twitch chat. Wow. You know what they say, like, one person picking something can't be as right as 600 to 1,000 people picking the same thing. So, there you go. <laughs> Good job. Good job, Twitch chat. We rely on you. We have a lot to cover today. Before we jump into it, I just want to um, highlight the fact that you, CGB, recently joined a team, did you not? A team. Witches of the oh, Coast, is that right? Okay, yes. I For a moment, I had an eSports team in my head, and I was like, that that, way, that wasn't me. That was some other CGB. But uh, <laughs> I have joined Team Witches of the Coast. Heck yeah. To, to raise money for Extra Life, the charity that, um, to try to sum it up, we're raising money for Helen DeVos Children's Hospital Foundation and Lady Lavinius, our team captain, was a top earner top uh earner for them last year nice. and she said that the money went to making sure that kids who are stuck living in the hospital that couldn't leave and there are more this year than ever because of covid mm. had playstations and video games to play so that they weren't sitting in their room being sad all the time so i thought that was a good cause mtg nerd girl my one of my best friends in streaming said that she would join, you know, she's going to join the team if I get to join the team. So I got to tag along and we've now raised $11,000 for charity, Heck I yeah. believe, as a team. Yeah. That's cool. So if people want to support that effort, where can they go and when? So the best and easiest way to find it would be to go to my Twitch stream and enter the command that's in the title of all of my... Um, streams for the last week or so which is command extra life exclamation point extra life or look in the description and there will be a link also on um, it should be the top line on the description of any of my youtube videos that will take you to my fundraising page and right now as at the time i'm recording this the next milestone goal which is about six hundred dollars away is that i will buy an ice dragon on amazon what well, is an ice dragon there's a link. You should go check it out. <laughs> and, and so, so should, should all you. the listeners. Listeners, yep. go check out what the fluff an ice dragon is. Well, that's really cool. I'm glad that you're doing that. In all realness, supporting kids in hospitals is one of the nicer things you can do in the world. So go give CGB and the team Witches of the Coast some support. And I love that you're an honorary witch, by the way. I'm the only, yes, it's myself, Jana Omari, Zabricus, Jamie Topples, Lady Lavinius, Team Captain, MTG Nerd Girl, and this guy. With no irony at all, like, that is an honor, dude. You, you're blessed with an excellent team, so go you and True. go all of you. Right, okay, well, so today we're going to cover a little grab bag of topics, mostly related to Standard, and um, we are going to go over the results of the MPL weekend, just briefly, because we spent a lot of time last week talking about that. CGB also made a very, very deep, about the deepest run you can make into a tournament without taking the whole thing down this week as well. 
Mm, we're going to, mm, I've got a quarrel with that, but okay. go on. Okay, all right. Well, we're going to get educated about that and then probably just discuss a few other things related to standard. So let's start with your run because I think that that will be an interesting thing to talk about. Okay, cool. So I had two competitive events. One I can sum up pretty quickly. Uh, there are snippets of both of these on YouTube and there are the full runs on Twitch that are currently public. So if people are interested in watching, they can. The first one would be the Zendikar Rising Qualifier. The ben Hold on, it's a mouthful. Just try fitting this into a YouTube title. The Zendikar Rising Championship Qualifier Event on MTG Arena, which is the event that you get to play if you finish a season, in this case the season in September, in the top 1200 Mythic, you get to enter this event, and it's two days. And on the first day, you have to get seven match wins before you take your third loss. And on the second day, which you only get to do if you get to the seven on the first day, you have to get to seven match wins before you get your second loss. A, yeah, a, a cool, you know, 14 and three <laughs> max. <laughs> Easy mode. Um, and it's best of three. So it's pretty, pretty intense. So uh, I haven't played one of these in a long time. And I usually finish in top 1200 mythic almost because I can and I want to. I'm competitive like that. So this time I did this event along with the tournament we're going to get to afterwards because I was doing the charity. I thought it would be a, a good thing. A lot of people have told me they want to see me do competitive events again. So I thought it would be a good way to raise awareness and money for the charity since the viewership on those things on Twitch is usually pretty good. And I could put some content on YouTube. It would be good stuff. I expected to, you know, maybe win one or two and lose plenty. And uh, fortunately, had a really good run on day one. I actually went seven wins and one loss. The one loss was a disconnect. My internet went out, and I had two timeouts, and it was game one when I disconnected. When I reconnected within about three minutes, it was a match loss. What? Yes. Oh, that's so crummy, dude. Chat was not happy. No. I, I shook it off, but finished, as I spoiled already, seven and one. So still wasn't close to elimination, thankfully. And uh, had a really great day one. I played blue-white Yorian because, as I've said a few times since then, the deck is just in my blood. I don't need practice with that because <laughs> I don't get any best of three practice anymore. Uh, day two didn't go as well. I think I had really good draws. I was fortunate. I was red hot on day one. Day two, there was like mulligan and no lander. Keep a one lander on the draw with a scry land. Never play land two. With 40 lands in my 80 card deck, yeah. So there was one of those. There was another game where I just missed a land drop after mulliganing that would have turned the game and it didn't work out. Played a lot of Gruel Adventures. Very aggressive deck. I think I was five and one against it, but uh, still ended up bowing out with only one win on day two. So overall an eight and three, eight and two, you could say because of the disconnect, but very happy about it. So that yeah, was a good one. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like competitive magic is that way. You play well, things go your way, you get into a tournament, and then when it really matters, your deck just craps out on you. <laughs> so. I would have preferred that the deck crapped out on me the day before when I had more losses to give. You know, like there's, you don't get to save those. I don't get an extra loss the next day because I finished with a loss to give on day one. Yeah. And it's kind of brutal. It does, it does feel like you should have more losses to give in the harder event, which day two definitely is because it's the winner's meta. So that's strange, but I don't make the rules. I'd love to. Be so much fun. A world lorded over by me. Yeah, I don't know how much everyone else would love that, but you know. They, they wouldn't. We'll leave it in the wonderful uncanny valley of hypotheticism. Okay, so now let's talk about the other tournament that you did much, much, much better in. This was a pretty, pretty strong showing from the CGB man. So let's talk about that. Yeah, I think it'll be, it, it, it's on the Mount Rushmore. At least two matches are like some of the all-time best matches I've played that I'll always remember. So there's a good lead for you. And this is the LFM Streamer Showdown. My teammate on Witches of the Coast, Jana Amari, invited me to play in it. I haven't been invited as a 
competitor in a like a best of three tournament in a while and once again i probably would have said no because i like to focus on content but we were doing the extra life charity event and i thought raising awareness and maybe putting up a good fight would help with that it would help us hit hit our goals as a charity team so i entered the lfm streamer showdown has a bunch of other streamers very good ones it turns out, uh, Rivals member Numat the Nummy, all-time Hall of Fame MPL member Gabriel Nassif. And the tournament was played in two pods, and a pod had already played the week before, which meant that the winners of each week then play at the end to see who takes home the final prize. So we already knew our end opponent if we were to win our whole pod on this Monday night, and that would be the Brad Nelson best standard player on the planet, many would consider him, of the MPL. Yay. Yay. <laughs> so, you know, just just a nice, cool match against some of the best Magic players of all time. Oh my gosh. I remember when I saw Streamer Showdown, I was like, all right, I can, I can battle some streamers. And it's like, well, yes, they technically stream, but they're also freaking... Hall of Fame material. It's insane, right? Um, And my very first round opponent, this is a double elimination tournament. My very first round opponent was Danny T. Law, who is... No slouch either. Friend of the show, very good in best of three, has been number two mythic many, many times. Always chasing number one. And very good player. And he was... I played blue-white Yorian again because, like I said, don't need practice. Deck's just in my blood. I cut the Dream Trawlers, and I cut Mystical Disputes, and I went with a bunch of clones. I had two Sublime Epiphanies, and I had four Glasspool Mimics, and the idea was to blink Yorian a few million times by turning Glasspool Mimics into Yorian and blinking them back as something else, and so on and so forth. Now, did you make that decision for any particular reason, or was it just because it sounded fun? A, it's fun, uh, but I did think that Dream Trawler is a card that a winner's meta would be prepared for, so I thought people would be very, very ready for Dream Trawler. Everybody would have soul shatters, and, and that actually turned out to be true, that people would have solutions to it, and it wasn't good against Rogues or Gruul, I found. It could never block Gruul because of Embercleave, and it just never resolved against Rogues. So, you know, just side note on Dream Trawler, I think that's the perfect example of a card which, like, the average Magic player looks at and thinks, like, whoa, that's a bomb, that's a game ender, what a horrible, hard-to-deal-with threat. And I think better players look at it and they think, eh, it's all right, it costs six mana, I probably have better things to be doing with my with my time. So I just think that's it's really good to look at what the better players in the game are thinking if for no other reason, then it just teaches us things. It just teaches us about what actually matters in high-level magic, which tends to be different things than just slamming your massive Bane Slayer Angel and hoping to ride it to victory. So anyway, just thought I'd point that out. Yeah, I think that anytime you're looking at a five or six mana threat, you have to ask yourself where this is good and where this is bad. Um, in Dream Trawler's case, it's when the opponents are playing spot removal and not sweepers or sacrifice removal or counter spells or killing you before turn six. It, so, uh, like Rakdos, when they don't run Soul Seer, is a perfect deck to have Dream Trawler against. They just lose. And, and it's still a fine card to play on the ladder because a lot of decks aren't equipped to deal with one on the ladder, right? So it's not saying it's a bad card. It's just, it's just interesting how the meta game does shift when you're playing against a higher caliber of player. Mm-hmm. So first round, Danny T. Law, I think I'm going to win game one by a mile, and he draws his one of Shark Typhoon, makes a giant shark on end step, and punks me out out of nowhere. Did you see this? I did. I saw the exact lethal. (laughs) I remember you had like this sick line. It was a really good line that you'd chosen. You had an incredible amount of value. You were just crushing. And I remember it was like the middle of your turn, and I was looking at his mana, and I was like, he has eight mana. If he cycles a shark and then has any removal... He just wins on the spot. So, yeah, one Shark Typhoon in his deck, and he drew it <laughs> off the Dream Trawler attack that turn. Yep. <laughs> so, I mean, he just he had what he needed, and he punked game one. But then you were able to turn it around. I don't remember much about how. I think I, I, think I owned the post-board games pretty hard. I don't remember them being particularly close. I think you aggroed him out in one game. Just like the old Yorian beatdown. <laughs> 
Yeah, just smash. <laughs> but um, I, I, I thought I remember looking at the list. I felt really favored. He didn't have many counter spells. He definitely couldn't handle Sublime Epiphany very well. That card was just too much value. His Doom Foretolds were bad because I just had all these omens and tomes and plenty of things to sacrifice if I needed to. So I wasn't. I thought I had a good matchup, but Danny's a good player. I was certainly concerned I would not be able to take back the elk trophy that we invented on my stream for when we fight. But I am the current owner of the fictional made-up and highly sought-after elk trophy. So I uh, was able to take that one down two to one. And then I, got, then I got the word of who I got to play in round two. The one and only Gabriel Nassif. The French Hall of Famer, I think he's third in Pro Tour wins or top eights. I can't remember which. I mean, and here's the thing. Nassif was good back in the day, semi-retired from Magic, and then he came back, and he's just still one of the best. It's like, name a recent high-profile tournament that he hasn't freaking top eighted. I mean, the guy yeah. is freaking nuts, dude. Having an unbelievable year, um, stream streams to over a 1,000 viewers regularly, and is known for being a master of control and what's he playing blue white yorian what am i playing blue white yorian <laughs> good luck with that one good luck with yeah i would probably say in vegas odds i'd be a really a super long shot and i also always wanted to play nasif in a tournament with stakes because he's been somebody that i patterned a lot of my game after and have learned a lot from for years, I, I don't even remember. I think it, I might have been watching him play Pro Tour footage. Like, I've been watching his Pro Tour footage for, for perhaps 15 years. So it was already a big deal to me. And I looked at the decks, and I still had a lot more counters than he did in the main. So I was super favored in game one. Game one was awesome. I got down two Solemns and an Omen, and then Yorian blinked about four, four or five times with no interference from him. So I had some like 15 mana on the battlefield. I blinked out my board and then wrathed his board and then blinked my board back in. It was very fun. And uh, game two was on the edge. Like it was on the edge of a knife because... I took an aggressive posture because I didn't draw much value. I drew a handful of counters, a couple of creatures, like some Skyclave apparitions, a shark. Looking at my hand, I was like, I can't keep up with any kind of value from him. And he spent his early turns like, you know, omen here, draw some cards. And I'm like, all right, I've got to figure out how to attack him. So I'm playing aggressively with Skyclave apparitions. And I make a 3-3 shark and I attack him a few times in the air. And we get into this spot where he's got, like, the full grip. You know, he's got, like, seven cards in his hand, and I'm down to, like, two shatter the skies in my hand and and an, um, a sublime epiphany, and it's my turn. And I use the sublime epiphany to copy my shark, bounce his shark so I can keep attacking and draw a card. So it's, like, defensive sublime epiphany because he was tapped low because I'm like, this is never going to resolve. He must have mystical dispute in his hand, you know? And I put him in a spot where he's only got three life, and I've got two, three, three sharks, and he taps out on his turn for Dream Trawler. Oh, mm -hmm. Nelly. Mm -hmm. So I have I have enough mana to scry with my omen, and I have two omens of the sea. So I scry with one omen on end step, and I scry with another on upkeep, and I'm looking for Elspeth Conquers Death, and I think that's the only card in my whole deck that will tap his Dream Trawler, so I can swing for lethal. And on the fourth card down, on the omen on the upkeep, we find it. And that concludes a 2-0 a match. Wow, dude. It's another punking him out, man. You just, <laughs> you bum-rushed him and you got him. I blue-white aggroed. So bizarre. So tell me, it sounds like maybe your deck was teched a little bit more just for the mirror than perhaps these other Yorian players were. Would you say yeah. that's right? What, what happened over the weekend, and we'll get to the MPL results, is that people decided Yorian was best, so they started building Yorian to beat Yorian. And it, I don't feel that that was the most conscious decision on my part as much as I just liked the cards better. I really like two-mana counter spells like Essence Scatter and Negate a lot better than cards like Neutralize and Thirst for Meaning and uh, Baron and Thassa and a lot of these other cards that were filling out 80-card Yorian piles. I just want to play some cheap counter spells, get a little value, and eventually Yorian will be good. I don't need it to be good on turn five every time. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's just cool to see when you look at a card like Essence Scatter, you don't necessarily imagine that it would line up that well against a Yorian deck, but if you just kind of think through what people are doing and you know, if people are tapping four mana to cast things like Solemn Simulacrums or tapping five mana to cast things like Yorians, pretty solid little tempo play right there. The bi- the big one now is Skyclave Apparition. Mm, yeah. That's the one that I think is creeping up on everybody as a very good card, and having Essence Scatter for that is actually a big deal. Yeah. So, And, you know, another thing I, I think about for these Yorian matchups is I feel like you are really rewarded for having cheap spells that can kind of fill in the holes in your curve. So it just gives you a lot more options, right? You can do things like play an Omen and leave up two mana for your Essence Scatter, or pull a Yorian into your hand and leave up some mana, right? Or gives you options, like if you have three available mana, you can hold up an Essence Scatter and a Mystical Dispute. So I just, I kind of like that. It just gives you a lot of flexibility. Mm-hmm. I totally agree on that. I, I think that I, I don't want to play anything like a Neutralize right now. Three mana is a lot to invest to get blown out by a one mana counter in Mystical Dispute, which is in every... A lot of good decks. Not every good yeah. deck, but a lot of good decks. I know. Imagine trying to get a, a neutralize off against rogues. <laughs> That's going to be fun. Yeah. Uh, I regretted my sublime epiphanies because to move the tournament along, next up I'm against Preddy MTG. Now, uh, Preddy's recent pedigree is winning the Red Bull Untapped Germany event with the exact rogue deck list that he's running here. So he's got the reps and he's got the deck I really had hoped to dodge in this tournament. I didn't think many people looking at the pool would want to be on rogues, but I could have put Preddy on it. And Preddy was the only rogue gamer. And and yeah, I had three matches with him if you want to look ahead. Thanks. That was great. Uh, so Preddy, every rogue matchup kind of went the same way, which is... Game one, I got absolutely obliterated because I had moved my Mystical Disputes and Glimpses of Freedom to the sideboard. And then game two, you bring in the Shark Typhoons, the Mystical Disputes, Glimpse of Freedom, and things get a lot tougher. And in this case, I won game two, and I lost game three in a very ugly multi-five and then draw nothing good uh, <laughs> sequence of events. So I, I it hurt. The winner would have gone on to the finals from the winner's winners bracket, which, of course, means they only have to win one more match to win uh, the week's pod. But I lost, so loser's bracket for me. I got to play... It's either Samson or Samson-y, because there's a one on the end, and I'm not sure what it is. I'm going to say Samson. I did ask my chat, how do you say the name? Nobody knew for sure. If anybody wants to correct me, I still welcome that. And... He had just beaten Yellow Hat with a really crazy four-color Yorian. Whoa. It, it's, it's a Croxa Ugin Yorian deck. What? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, All it, right. It's this tremendous collection of good cards. Blue wow. gives Mystical Dispute, Shark Typhoon, Omen of the Sea. Red gives Croxa that I mentioned, and I'm trying to think of the other cards, but I think it was Bone Crusher Giant and some other cheap removal. Black... There were four Pelica Predations to hit the hand. Love it. Mm, yeah. One of my pet cards, man. One of my pet cards. <laughs> yeah, so much so much going on with this deck. A very, very sweet deck. Wow. But no main deck counters and mystical dispute in the board. So game one was a sublime epiphany-ing because that card is absolutely gross in those spots. And game two, I think his draw was very bad. He, I don't think he... He might have had one mystical dispute in the entire game and just was always on like one or two cards in hand as I was hitting more lands, drawing more cards. I felt like I was ahead forever. So I don't think his deck gave him what he needed. There was this Seagate Restoration into Seagate Restoration. So I have about 20 cards in my hand and he cast Pelica Predation and I'm, I could counter it in five different ways, but I'm just like, go, go ahead. Take, Which, by the way, is the look. most CGB flex of all time. <laughs> Very evil. Very evil. Love it. My prize is I get to play Preddy again. Okay. Demir Rogues. And I not only do I get to play him again, if I beat him, I have to play him again in wow. another match. Yeah. And I lose game one in a slaughter, as the Rogue matchup turned out to be. Game two, I am down to two cards in my library. <laughs> 
I mean, this game is insane. You should watch the YouTube video just for the game, because I can't even tell you all the nonsense in the game. But, like, at one point in the middle of the game, I wore him down. I had five, four or five cards left in hand, and he's on zero. And I'm like, okay. Next turn, I resolve Shark Typhoon. We take over. I win. He top decks into the story. And the nonsense just starts do. all over again. They always yeah, do. It, and I, I just scream at the monitor on no, you know, and <laughs> but I end up, I end up with a bunch of angels. I've got two cards in my deck. He's on one life, and I have like angels from Amiria's call on the battlefield and a Yorian and a Glasspool mimic on an angel. So like he's got a he's dead next turn. But I have two cards in my freaking deck. What does he draw? Into the story. (laughs) And what does into the story draw? It draws two cards, which thankfully aren't counter spells or thieves guild enforcer, a land and a crab. So he goes, he goes for the crab. I omen of the sea and I know my last two cards and I pull an essence scatter out of the deck. No way. Yep. And I hit it. I think there's a, Oh, one of his cards was a counter, but it was a whirlwind denial. And I pay the man. (laughs) And then I get to swing with an empty deck with an against Demir Rogues that, for lethal. That's the ultimate satisfaction right there. Oh my gosh. Now, Amazing. And, and when when I did, like that game was so tense and frustrating, I'm just yell at the screen, die! <laughs> <laughs> just die! <laughs> and oh so what? Gosh. the reward is game three, and we're both under five minutes on the clock. Wow. Yeah. Which, and which I end up, would maybe seem to favor him, right? It, I mean, he's got the faster deck. Yeah. But his draw, I'm, I'm able to slow him down so that he actually has a draw that's mostly into the story counters and card advantage, and he needs to be more proactive. So he forces through this into the story on his turn when I don't think he wants to, and it leaves him with only two mana left. And everybody is like watching my side of things is like, why didn't he counter into the story? Because I have negate. But I also have Shark Typhoon and eight lands. And he's down to two lands left, and only one of them is blue. So on my turn, I cast Shark Typhoon. I've only got like two or three cards left in my hand, but one of them's a Maze Mine Tome, and one's an Omen of the Sea. And he drown in the locks, and I negate the drown in the lock, and now Shark Typhoon's on the battlefield. I win about three turns later with like 22 sharks. Well, I mean, I was just thinking like, that's a card that the Rogue deck basically can't beat if it resolves, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So while they're going to do everything they can to wiggle their into the story at the right time, if you can, you can let them have into the story if you get Shark Typhoon. It's it's the great equalizer. It's, yeah. You know, people I, forget that occasionally there are times when it's correct to just cast Shark Typhoon for six and then just proceed to absolutely bury your opponent in sharks. So YouTube loves it, by the way. <laughs> oh, every, love that everyone loves it, man. I mean, and. This the the reward for this epic hour, one of the toughest matches of my whole life, was that we get to do it again. Uh, and once again, I get wrecked in game one, and I do the wrecking in game two with some sweet glimpse of freedom stuff. In game three, he mulls to five, I mull to six, but his hand never comes together. I have glimpse of freedom to empty my graveyard, and things were good. Like like that game was that game that game three was pretty anticlimactic, but. Preddy made me work for everything in the matchup to that point and was really hard. So uh, crazy set of best of three matches with that guy in this event. That means I win the pod. That means I win my um, tournament in theory. But then there's Enboss Brad Nelson on Gruel Adventures who is on the play in game one. And I kept a hand with I think it was three lands and four spells or maybe it was an Amiria's call and three spells. And I... I, I need to go watch it back, but I'm pretty sure I drew five lands and one spell and just flooded out that game and died, and it was very sad. Yeah, yeah, after stopping the initial onslaught, it was very frustrating. Game two, I was, I think I was ahead most of the way, answered all the things, sublime epiphanied, it was good. And game three, I was on the draw, I had to mulligan again, and I missed my fourth land drop. I, if I had hit it, I think I would have stabilized. I would have had, like, removal plus counter, since I didn't. He got to resolve more threats and beat me to death. And I lost the... It was a $500 match, but I had already won $500 from taking down Preddy. So it was a chance to double the money. But uh, that's okay. 
It's the way it goes. I, I, Brad got to hang out all night and just wait to play one match. And I just kind of wish I didn't have to do that, quite honestly. I feel like I should have gotten to enjoy this absolutely sick tournament that I played without having to have the bonus match that uh, the person from last week didn't have to play. But it's the way it is. Yeah, it's the way competitive magic seems to look these days. One person just chills and eats olives <laughs> reclining on the divan while the other person works through the muck of the lower bracket to <laughs> freaking yeah. come and face them. I got a taste of that. It's not fun, but it does happen. I mean, I was uh, it was like one in the morning for me. I, can't, I don't know how Preddy did it. In Germany, it's yeah. like four or five in the morning for him playing that match it's crazy well hey congratulations man for taking down your pod ending up losing only in a way that matt's losing only to brad nelson who like you said best player in standard right now not surprised would have loved to beat him would have definitely put the cherry on top of a great night um the matches with nasif and preddy were amazing so yeah i can't complain i can't be sad and for somebody who doesn't get a lot of time to practice or play best of three it was really exciting to not get completely rolled over heck yeah well dude that's really awesome congratulations on your run and i you know this actually kind of dovetails into what i wanted to talk about next so maybe we can roll up some of your takeaway thoughts into some of the takeaways from the first weekend of the mpl and here's what I wanted to talk about. You had this awesome run with a Yorian deck and going into the MPL weekend, there were like, I mean, the meta game was dominant. I mean, there were a lot of Yorians going into that. I didn't do the exact math, but it was a big part of the meta game. About a third. Yeah. And coming out of that weekend, Yorian got pretty trounced. It did. Let's see. I'm looking at the MPL standings and the highest place... For an Azor, uh, for a Yorian deck was ninth place with Javier Dominguez, and then the, there really aren't that many other blink lists until you go like way down the list here. So Yorian basically got dominated in the MPL weekend, and I'd just be curious to hear your thoughts based on your winning your pod with it, thinking about the meta game of the MPL and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Like, where do you think Yorian is currently ranked in the in the meta game right now? Well. I think that Yorian is still a very, very good deck, and I think that's going to surprise some people, or maybe not. I It depends on what you think of bias. I, I certainly know that my blue-white control decks, I really love those. So I usually stick up for them when I think that they're good, and I haven't changed my mind there. I will say this. It, Javier Dominguez's deck, before, their mat, before he played his matches, that's the deck that I took most of the list, my list from. Like it was the st- it was definitely the starting point for my list. Uh, you'll see it has the glass pool mimics. You'll see that it has essence scatters and negates. No neutralizes. Um, no barons. No thasas. No charming prints. Some of that stuff that we talked about. So my list had a lot in common with his because I think we found the same thing that cheap counters were necessary for the mirrors, and I think. I'm always kind of wondering how to break this down for people in the best way possible because it's 100% true that pros metagaming for a field made up specifically of other pros, or in this case, the MPL specifically for the MPL, is so much different than an open field tournament with hundreds of people or the latter. It's tremendously different because most of these people, not all of them, but most of them know each other and have known each other for years. They're in the same Facebook groups. They know how each other think. They've just they've they've just been in kind of the clubhouse of Magic the Gathering for a long time. And they communicate and they know a lot about each other and many of them work together. And when the entire when most of the field picks up on the fact that they expect Yorian to be highly played, the Yorian decks themselves start thinking, how do I beat Yorian decks? And everybody else who doesn't want to play Yorian says, how do I beat Yorian? And when one deck has the absolute target pinned on it by the best players in the world, and there isn't a broken card like an Omnath to carry the deck through the times when the hate shows up, then yeah, 
The deck is going to take a beating. This is how it used to be in Magic before cards were just obscenely broken, starting with Eldraine, right? Like, if a deck had a target on it, it was a terrible choice. We've spent at least a year in a world where if the deck has a target on it, it's still the right choice because it's just the best deck and certain cards solo you. I do somewhat take amusement at the notion that Yorian isn't a totally busted card. <laughs> but I also concede the point that it is a card that you can metagame against apparently rather successfully if if these results are anything to go by so point taken there that's because there's multiple ways to beat it right if, if you counter the yorin itself which is a five mana play that is blue so mystical dispute comes to mind or essence scatter come to mind or a number of things in the rogue deck like drown in the lock then yorin didn't do anything and it was a waste of five mana which is usually fatal in magic and on the other side what if you manage the board what if they don't have these permanents to blink what if they're like they they really do rely on blinking things like skyclave apparition and glass casket glass casket's like an achilles heel you can blow that thing up and get your card back if you have ember shield breaker gem razor and other cards uh skyclave apparition gives you a token if you kill it right away and they never get a chance to blink it then you can stay on the offensive like the deck has a number of weaknesses yeah which i think is a is like you said it's just a great place for a meta game to be where you have a very powerful deck but also a deck that can be answered with some degree of of effectiveness so yeah i i I like the way that's stacking up i think that's really cool and it's interesting like i do think the rogue matchup is very hard and i think it's navigatable after board navigable i don't know um especially with uh the escape cards and in blue white that would be glimpse of freedom a card that was absolutely amazing for me. So remind us what that card does. I don't remember exactly. Sure. It's one in a blue to draw a card. Okay. But two in a blue escape, exile five cards from your graveyard, draw a card. Got it. So it's free card draw when your opponent mills it for you. Um, and exile your graveyard. Yeah, so when you are playing the blink deck, the the matchup, as I've definitely played it a ton now, it. it you need to grind them out the rogue deck, and that's really hard because you're trying to grind out a deck that has Agadim's Awakening to keep getting their threats back, Luris to keep getting the threats back after the Awakening, and into the story. Like, the, the grind plan is not easy, but you have to be really patient, and you just have to keep doing it. And it's like grinding out a card with Glimpse of Freedom, and then another card, and then another card, and making sure that Shadow resolves because you waited until it couldn't be Mystical Disputed and you have a negate or something. And uh, the other big tech I found in my 80-card Yorian pile was I sideboarded in 14 cards, but I only sideboarded out, like, six. <laughs> okay. <So> you just <laughs> I was pre- Yeah, I was presenting 80-some cards in my... <laughs> yeah. You're, like, sideboarding up to, like, 65 or 70 cards is not good enough now. Let's just go 85. Let's just go 90. <laughs> Hit me I, with 90. I I think I took out, like, ECDs and Sublime Epiphanies because they were really expensive. Yeah. And I left one ECD every time because there's one Luris always. But, um, yeah, <laughs> just, <laughs> just going with the fat stack um, because getting crabbed out is no good. But really... When you're when they have a four mana draw four and they get it all at once and you have Maze Mind Tome which is like ten mana draw four, you just you really need to play the long game because you can keep up with them but you just need the time. So let me ask you this: um, I know there's been a number of versions of rogues floating around. So let's ask Aeval: Is the list converging on like a consensus best version yet? And or do you think that there is a best version to win the Yorian matchup? I think the answer on the convergence is still no, because I the 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 what's out of the question now is like the twenty some creature curved out rogue deck, the Thieves Guild Enforcer, Soaring Thought Thief, Nighthawk Scavenger. Wrangle no no one's playing Zareth's son in the in the winner's matter game not no no they are okay but not in like the curve out aggro list it's so Stanislav Sifka posted I think the best record out of the rival lists Hmm. and I believe he 
Yeah, I think he won. He went nine three with his build. You are right that he, along with two other players, so he's basically like tied for the top three players who oh, all okay. got there with Demir Rogues. <laughs> nine three. So, all of these are nine three. Yeah. So I actually don't know if their lists are the same or not. But let's let's they're, just they're not. Uh, they're not the same. It's interesting. Yeah. Let, let's. Uh, this might be fun. Actually, let's take a look at Stan's list here. So why don't you take us through it? So Stanislav Sivka's deck does not play Luris as companion, which is something that several players tried, including Gabriel Nassif in this event. Mm, okay. And this Sivka's list, though, goes deeper. So usually the four Soaring Thought Thief, four Thieves Guild Enforcer, and then four Drown in the Lock and Into the Story are given. This list has Shark Typhoon. It also has two copies of Gadwick the Wizened, two copies of Brazen Borrower, and two copies of Zareth San the Trickster this is in the deck. kind of spicy, man. I gotta say. This is yeah. a bit of a departure from, from a normal rogues list here. We also see two copies of Essence Scatter and two copies of Didn't Say Please, and an absolute smoking gun to nonsense, three copies of Into the Story instead I, of I was just going to ask. I was like, what kind of mad lad cuts the fourth into the story? I guess Stanislav Sifka. Gadwick is interesting because you've got to think at least that kind of fills in a little of yeah. that Into the Story card draw, but it's still really surprising, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if that's a somewhat of a concession to some of these aggro lists, because if you can stick a Gadwick with all of your like flash rogues and counter spells and interaction and stuff, you can actually do a fairly good job of locking your opponent's board down. Do you, do you think that has something to do with it? I think that has something to do with it, but yeah, Scorching Dragonfire kind of came out as a really good removal spell in this split and it wasn't absolutely taken over the format yet so there was reason to believe Gadwick might live nowadays I think it would get dragon fired quickly um here's what here's my theory because I, I played a good amount of rogues versus rogues and one of the big things is that if one of the rogues players can initiate a counter fight sometimes all the mana gets tapped all the counters get played and the rogue player resolves like the Agadim's Awakening, creates a board state, says go. The other rogue player can't really do anything to punish it because all their cards are flash and not high impact. And the a rogue deck that has Gadwick the Wizen and Shark Typhoon, if they initiate that counter fight, win it or lose it. If their opponent is tapped out, they can untap and severely punish the opponent by resolving a Shark Typhoon, which we talked about before, or resolving Gadwick and completely refilling the hand. And I'll tell you what, if y'all haven't seen this interaction, it's a sweet one. If you get Shark Typhoon down and then you resolve an into the story, whether or not you pay seven mana for it, you do get a seven, seven Shark. So that's nothing to scoff at. Nice. <laughs> so on on the other side your cling to dust always come out as one one so that's a little annoying but it you is know, you, you take the good with the bad i guess <laughs> mystical dispute though comes out as a three three so that's a pretty sweet interaction cool oh, so let's compare this then i would be curious to see this as opposed to like let's take a look at lsv's list here wow he's also not playing laris am i right on that that is correct. Okay, so, but he is running four Shark Typhoons, a very lean suite of rogues. He's only got four Soaring Thought Thieves and four Thieves Guild Enforcers. And then if we look down the list, he's running a good amount of counter magic. He's got the four full into the stories. So I guess that's it. I guess he's, this is like a pretty control slanted version of the list. Four Typhoons, four into the stories, only eight rogues, we're not seeing any crabs in the main. Uh, looks like he doesn't have any crabs in his list at all. Neither did Sifka. Yeah, interesting. So maybe people are just moving away from this for the most part. Um, so yeah, this is just like straight up control rogues to me. Anything, anything else stand out to you about this? I would say that people aren't necessarily moving away from the crabs. Just these two particular players um, have different builds with no crabs. But there are still a lot of crab versions out there. And you're going to continue to have to be prepared for it and how things play out differently. This deck from LSV and a similar version is played by Gabriel Nassif in the MPL, um, who I believe had eight wins there. Could be wrong, but I believe that's correct. This version is 
Like, tap out, never. 100% draw go control, except it has removal spells that can also turn into very aggressive threats in Soaring Thought Thief and Thieves Guild Enforcer. They do function much like removal spells when you flash them in and ambush block things. Uh, and of course, Shark Typhoon doing its thing. The Shark Typhoons also, I think that one of the highlights of them is the hard cast against Rakdos, which is supposed to be a tough matchup, and the hard cast against the fellow rogue decks, like we talked about. And I, I yeah, and I just like to note as well, LSV is only running one Agadim's Awakening, which I think is a smart call, whereas Stan's Lift runs two, which is also a smart call because he's got like literally twice the number of creatures he's running so it's those those little subtleties end up mattering a lot i think in how well these decks perform i want to call out two things uh the first is that gab ran gabriel nasif ran almost the same list with an exception there was a Luris in the sideboard mm. so that the the shark typhoons could be subbed out in bad <laughs> matchups oh, and Luris cool. could be moved as a companion okay so in the board but not started as a companion Yep, That's I thought that cool was really idea. cool. Yeah, I like that a lot. The other card I absolutely love in this version of Rogues and that I've been trying on ladder is Solundi Vision. There are two copies in this list. I've been up to four copies. The card is three mana to look at your top six, pick an instant or sorcery and put it into your hand, or you can play it as a tapped blue source. I find in Rogues, and in this particular never-tap-out version of Rogues, that's always a drown in the lock or into the story, Yeah, which are your broken cards. That's what I was thinking. Like, it's just oh like... Oh my gosh. It's just two more copies of your best cards. Yeah. yeah. Uh, really, I think something that not enough people are trying in Rogues and probably should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love it. I think this is a really key example of where the card is best. Like, when you have especially into the story when you have a heavy hitter in your deck that Salundi can hit that's just like so much better than anything else like i would also consider running it if i was leaning on something like a um sublime epiphany right it's another mm -hmm. example of just like a completely game opening game wrecking spell that you can fetch up with that so yeah i think that that's that's really cool let's take a look finally at bernardo santos's list is our third rivals player who went nine and three i, I bet this has 16 creed yes, yes it is it is another different version <laughs> so okay so this is a list i'm trying to think correct me if i'm wrong but this might be the list they call turbo crab is that right <laughs> i don't know what they call turbo crab anymore but this is the list with the most in common with what seth manfield played in the omnath meta at the grand finals Mm-hmm. So this is running uh, Loris's Companion. It's got four Ruin Crabs in the main. It's got four Merfolk, Wind Robber, four Soaring Thought Thief, four Thieves, Guild Enforcer. Also running three copies of Agadim's Awakening. So this is a deck that's like always, always, always going to get my crabs back. The only thing you can do about it is exile them. Otherwise, mm -hmm. I'm just going to have at least one crab the whole game, basically. It, it even runs a Call the Death Dweller. There's not a lot of downside to a Call the Death Dweller when you have Luris, like in your deck and you just always want to be able to get your second Luris when you draw it late. And what Seth Manfield kind of showed everybody, he, he, he wasn't running Rune Crab, he wasn't running Wind Robber, but he showed the power of Luris in this archetype. And I think that time hasn't been kind to Vantress Gargoyle, but the Ruin Crab, Wind Robber, Luris setups with Agadim's Awakening and Call the Death Dweller to get them back, this deck just seems to never stop attacking either the life total or the deck or both simultaneously and it's so tilting to play against this deck this is almost exactly by the way what Preddy ran against me when there's a crab on the field you just feel things slipping away it turns on their best cards when you're being attacked by Thieves Guild Enforcers and Thought Thieves and they have like four power, your life totals, like you're always looking at your deck in your life and like, I don't even know how to defend myself right now because whatever I kill comes back. It's such a tilting deck to play against. I can't tell you how many comments I get on YouTube every day of how much people hate rogues. <laughs> they hate this deck just like gnaws at their psyche, I think. As far as the latter is concerned, it has definitely supplanted Mono Red as the eye roll deck. When your opponent goes turn one, blue source, merfolk, wind robber, or ruin crab, you're just like, here we go again. 
I wonder what they're going to do on turn two. <laughs> it's going to be a nice time with my opponent today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look, at least it's not a cleave deck, right? We, we take what we can get. I will say that rogues, to pilot it really well, like there, there are the one-sided, lopsided, like I play Thieves Guild Enforcer, I play Thought Thief, I play my Drown in the Lock, I play another Drown in the Lock. Like those games seem pretty brainless, but I mean, a lot of games with rogues are very hard, incredibly hard from both sides. Like you, you got to big brain it. You really have to bring it. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I, to be honest, I think it's the most skill testing deck in the format right now. And I actually think there's something beautiful to that, right? It's beautiful how you can have a deck that's like the most popular on the ladder, but which is also one of the decks that rewards you the most for top level play. That's a really cool deck, in my opinion. So I'm really glad that it's here. And I'm really glad it's just such an interesting foil in the meta game. And I do think it's quite well balanced as well. You know, like... I don't know, mm -hmm. like anyone calling to ban into the story or whatever, like I, I just don't see that happening anytime soon. So it's really hard to take that seriously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. After, from where we've been, uh, and the fact that escape cards are so potent, yeah, you know, of, of, a, of a problem for the deck. And to top it off, blue black decks have been terrible for a <laughs> long know. time. Yeah. You have to go back to Scarab God Torrential Gear Hulk to find good blue black decks. Exactly. It's been many years and it's really funny to me that they print a few really good blue black cards the package comes together it starts to perform well and now everybody's like oh it's so lame man mill is stupid ban ruin crap counters are stupid ban drown in the lock it was the same thing with simic you know it's like when was the last time simic was good until suddenly <laughs> here we are you well know? i mean <laughs> Simic had had a few other things going on. Uh, Oko is not the same as Thieves Guild Enforcer. Indeed, indeed. So, you know, I, yeah, I just wanted to take a moment to appreciate the the design because I just think this is good magic. Demir Rogues is good magic, and it should be applauded uh, whenever that is a viable thing to do. Pol Very tiny claps polite, over Polite here. luncheon claps <laughs> for Wizards of the Coast indeed. over here. I really want to talk about the deck, which slaughtered you and also happened to slaughter the mpl last weekend gruel adventures i mean ray sato just utterly smashed the tournament with an 11 and 1 record that's just so much more dominant than anyone the next best mpl member was world champion polo vitor damadorosa i also want to talk about his spicy deck because we were very interested in it last week but i mean 11 and 1 in like one of the most stacked fields of Magic players you'll ever see. So I really want to talk about Gruel Adventure. Can I give you an anecdote about this yeah, deck really yeah, quickly? Yeah, lay it on us. Brad Nelson forgot to, re you know, he had a lot going on with the MPL weekend. He forgot to register his deck for the LFM streamer showdown where he would eventually beat me. So he net decked Ray Saito's exact list and registered it without a second thought. So I got net decked by the MPL. I just thought that I, I thought that was some kind of a some people will find that to be sweet justice for a content creator like myself who provides net decks to the masses. Hey, you know, it happens to all of us. Even people at the top of the chain can just they know when to do a good net decking. Oh yeah, minus five hundred dollars. <laughs> Boom. Easy net deck. Hey, my friend, that is hardly the most costly net deck in the history of magic, so consider yourself fortunate. <laughs> okay, I will. Uh, I'm going to give a quick rundown of this deck, all right? So we've got 25 creatures, definitely a creature deck. Four Bone Crushers, four Brushfire Elementals, four Edgewalling Keepers, four Kazandu Mammoths, four Lovestruck Beasts, two Questing Beasts. So the Fallen Prince returns to a green deck. <laughs> and uh, three Scavenging Ooze. And then we've got two Primal Mites and four Shatter Skull Smashings in the Sorcery slot. We've got a couple of Scorching Dragon Fires. And this is one of the things I'm most interested to talk with you about. A 3-2 split here. Three Ember Cleaves and two The Great Henges. So, okay, first of all, I think that we're all pretty familiar with the game plan of this deck. It's something along the lines of play aggressive creatures, Ember Cleave them up, try to get a little value out of your Edgewell Innkeeper, and then if the game goes long, try to get an incredible amount of value out of the Great Henge. So... 
Talk to me about this, CGB. I think a lot of people in the past would have looked at an Embercleave Great Henge split and been like, you gotta lean in, man. You know, like you gotta pick one side of the divide. Do you want to be a Cleave deck or do you wanna be a Henge deck? This deck is just like, both please. So why are we seeing this now? I just, I don't remember in the history of Magic seeing another competitive deck that ran both of these cards. Like, what's going on there? Well, I think that a general way to look at it is if you play either of these on turn four, you will probably win the game. The question is, if you could play one or the other, is one better in a situation than the other? It's almost always yes. I mean, it comes down to the opponent's board and your board, of course. Is Embercleave better here or is Henge better? If you're on the defensive, obviously Henge is very much better than Embercleave, like significantly, and it favors you in a long game. If you're on the offensive, Embercleave will end the game right now, but Henge will probably still end the game eventually, barring some really terrible top decks. And when you have the option of both, because you're a red-green deck that needs double green and wants double red anyway for Shatter Skull Smashing, Questing Beast, then you may as well Hen hedge hedge your bets <laughs> <laughs> because it's a lot better to have one of each than two of one. Hmm. I mean that's true. The second copy of your legendary artifact does very little unless your opponents remove the first one. So mm -hmm. that was one of the things that stood out to me most about this deck and seemed like it could lead to some very awkward draws. You know, like like imagine a game in which you start with an Embercleave and a Great Henge in your opening hand and then you draw another copy of either of those. I don't know. But maybe you just got so much value out of, you know, the first two that you're just kind of happy with it. I'm also going to tell you about the squeeze. And this is where it's important to remember that this is an open deck list event. Everybody sees the deck list. Your opponent plays a turn three Kazandu Mammoth. You have a Drown in the Lock in your hand, and there are enough cards in the opponent's graveyard that you could kill this Kazandu Mammoth. When do you do it? If they are an Embercleave deck, you want to do it in combat and blow out their Embercleave play, or right before combat. Because if they get to attack, say they have two creatures, they can always embercleave the other one. And they have a lot of haste creatures too, so they could embercleave a hasted creature. So you want to wait till combat. You want to see the equip. All right. But they're a henge deck. So if you let them untap and play a land and grow the mammoth, they could slam the great henge. And if you, they don't have nine cards in their deck for you to counter it with drown in the lock, it's going to stick and it's probably going to beat you. So it forces these decks that want to play instant speed game plans into committing, and sometimes they're going to get burned for it. Kazandu Mammoth, quietly one of the best cards in the format. Let's take a moment to appreciate how much that card's been performing. It just d does everything this deck wants to do, right? Yep, took $500 from me. <laughs> no biggie. I, I'm cool. It's, I'm not bitter. The, the elephant in the valley, shall we say. Why didn't it just stay extinct? Okay, so I do want to say something about this deck mm -hmm. because I think it's misleading that people think that they know Gruel. And I think the reason that this is a top-tier deck right now is because it is not a typical Gruel deck at all. I think that this is the best Golgari deck in the format. And by that, I mean, like, slug it out mid-range. Because yeah. when, you grab, when you grab this sideboard, man, when you grab this sideboard... Three Ox of Aganis, and trust me, they, they do come in against rogues, but they don't only come in against rogues. Two Clothis, God of Destiny. Rogues hates that card. They can't do anything about that card. And it just picks either graveyard to pieces, and it makes you so hard to kill. And uh, two Garricks, two Mon Vivian Monsters Advocate, so four Planeswalkers. Ember's Shieldbreaker, which is a two for one, and triggers your Edgewall Innkeeper, blows up those glass caskets, which are a serious liability. Two more Scorching Dragonfires, and two Acroan War. Steal your thing? Steal your big old critter? It's very good in the mirror. Like, this sideboard lets the deck transform into the best mid-range deck in the format, in my opinion. Like, you can... Croxa is not going to grind you out. It, it really won't. In, in fact, you're going to steal it, probably, <laughs> with a crow in war. And you have ways to exile it with Scorching Dragonfire. I, like, this, this deck 
is like gruel is now the good golgari mid-range deck mm. mm-hmm. yeah that's a really really good point and if you just look at like if you just go down the list it really is a collection of some of the more powerful cards in the format like for example Embercleave is like the best damage engine in the format right now the Great Henge is definitely one of the best card advantage engines in the format. You know, you get to run Bone Crusher Giant, just one of the best all-around creatures in the format. You get to run Edgewall Innkeeper, which is like a one-mana card drawing engine, which basically no one else really has anything like that. And then you just get stuff like Scavenging Ooze. And like you said, you get these this really cool... Uh, access this really cool sideboard here so i totally agree it's just it just contains some of the most powerful cards in the format in one very very nice package so i just love how this can be a kill you on turn four deck this can be a grind into the late game deck and most things in between so really really good stuff i think uh, let's just touch briefly before we go here on Paulo's list again, because he had a 9-3 and three record with this deck. So Paulo clearly figured out something that was going to work well in the meta game. So we talked in more length last episode about this. So if you want to kind of get the big rundown, then let's go for it. But and unfortunately, I did not get to see Paulo play this deck. But, you know, I just wanted to call out that he made some really good calls, and clearly this deck could brawl. Clearly. With Yorian thinking that it had an easy matchup with Rakdos, it spent all its time focusing on other Yorian decks and fearing rogues. And the Rakdos matchup with rogues was naturally pretty decent because they're milling Croxa in the fuel for it. And this deck just lined up and shot down the Orion decks that it played against and had a turned out it actually had a very good matchup and everybody had written it off and they were punished for it yeah i love it and i mean there's just little things i'm sure that come up with this list like for example robber of the rich can block a merfolk wind robber right i don't know i mean in general this list actually looks pretty good against rogues you know having a good game against one of the arguably best decks in the format and then having a solid plan against one of the other decks that you expect to be good in the format i don't know i just think i think it's really cool i think if you want to have a start playing competitively on the ladder i would probably look at one of these three decks yorian decks rogue decks and uh i guess four right yorian four rogues gruel and Rakdos. those seem to be the really performing archetypes at the moment yep and i don't I think that those four make up like the A and B tiers, and I don't know. There will probably be something else that can certainly climb those ranks, but those are the decks that I think have the most play and ability to adapt to each other and will probably may, remain a part of the meta for a while. So one wonderful thing absent from CGB's evaluation there was that we currently have no S-tier decks in the format, which to me just means a healthy format, right? So Omnath? <laughs> omnath, omnath, omnath. Good riddance. Uh, I love this format. Uh, it's the main reason I was pretty happy to dive back into some competitive play. It was I was actually enjoying playing Magic, and as frustrating as grinding out endless matches with rogues can be, it is very rewarding when you win, as opposed to the absolute just kind of yawn and relief uh, that came from Omnath Mirrors. Yeah, when you beat an Omnath deck, you didn't feel like you won, you just felt like they lost. Yeah, and it never lasted long because the very next match you're on the draw and on turn three they have a, a Genesis ultimatum and it's back to, I guess, nothing matters. But here it's like these, these games were amazing and I encourage anybody to watch the MPL uh, videos, watch my VODs of the tournaments I played in and uh, you know, I, I don't know anybody who's watched them and says that this isn't exciting and compelling magic. If you don't like this magic, I don't know what to tell you. It's it's it's, it's great for me. It's better than it's been in a year. If you don't like this magic, play some Zendikar Rising Limited because that's been buttering my toast and it is still a fun format. So yeah, between that, you know, between this being a good limited format now it's a good standard format i feel like arena is in a better place than it's been in a really long time if we could just have it on mobile man <laughs> oh baby 
Oh. They delayed it. Did you see? I, I didn't. Was that some news around that? Oh, yes, there was. Uh, you know, very quietly stated on the Hasbro earnings call, not in an official release or anything, that MTG Arena on mobile has been delayed. Oh, okay. Early 2021. Yeah, yeah, okay. To the surprise of, I don't think, many. Nobody. <laughs> to, the, to the surprise of Hasbro's CEO and nobody else, perhaps. Probably. I was never placing any kind of hopes or stakes on MTG Arena Mobile, so... I mean, if they release anything whatsoever, it's going to be a win, in my opinion, and probably a, a lull, so... My my content career aches for this because I've still got my old phone right here and I've got my camera on my desk and we're going to hook that sucker up. We're going to turn on the camera. We're going to see how long it takes us to melt the phone and get it to burst into flames. I'll bet that when you install MTG Arena, you have to actually buy a magnifying glass and a stylus that they ship to you just so that you can play it on your phone. I'm just picturing me getting out the monocle. Man. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's going to take something. It's it's going to take a monocle or a miracle, I think, to get it running on mobile. So let's see which it is. And with that, we bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to another fine week of the ArenaCraft podcast. You guys are just the best. Shout out to all of our listeners on YouTube. Y'all are actually the best. And if you don't listen on YouTube, go leave a comment in the comment section telling all these YouTubers why the podcast subscribers are actually the best, all right? Get a little get a little artificial competition going here. So speaking of which, you can find us on pretty much all the podcast platforms. You can find us on Spotify, we're on Stitcher, we're on iTunes. We are on YouTube, expanding every day. You can find Kovac Go Blue at his YouTube, go look him up. Always a banging production over there. And he also streams Monday through Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern. CGB, I will catch you next week. Later. Beep.